Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome Trevor Gurekis to Headliner Radio, film composer. Um, yeah, how are you doing, Trevor? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. You were just telling me about life gradually returning to the Big Apple where you're based. Um, yeah, so yeah. you're starting to see life coming back to quote-unquote normal. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, you know, a lot of people are um, vaccinated here. And uh, uh, so, you know, our, uh, the building that my studio is in, um, you know, was, was very, very quiet for months and months and months. And now I could see uh, more people in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, sign that uh, people are showing up to the office now. Um, but I know that people like to w- work remotely, so uh, of I think course. Be, yeah. Oh, so do you share a space? Do you get to see a lot of other composers then? Uh, well, I um, co-own the, this company called Found Objects with another composer named Jay Wadley. Um, yes, yeah, so, I've interviewed him actually myself. Yeah, um, yeah, mm. he's really great, and he, uh, you know, I share a space with him because we <laughs> we rent we rent this. Uh, but we have uh, uh, other uh, composers who are currently remote or going to bring them back, um, uh, in-house composers for our company. Um, but then we have some like uh, assistants that work with us, and uh, uh, and you know, in our and we have like a, a live room and a control room and stuff. So, uh, but it's it's dedicated to our company and our work. Yeah, that's amazing, and I guess so. You're further proof that. Film composers don't necessarily have to be in Hollywood these days. You can live in New York, or I mean, interviewed a guy in Brussels the other day. So it seems like you can be more yeah, international or yeah. more further afield from LA. I guess, was yeah. that true maybe 15 years ago? You kind of had to be in LA, but it seems to have changed so much since then, doesn't it? I mean, I think that's definitely the case as long as you, you know, uh, connect with certain people and the right music supervisors and editors and you know um the whole like sitting down with the director and going through cues one by one is, is like um is not as uh important as it used to be if that was a reason why being in in la was a thing um because i've worked with mm. directors here in new york and it was like do I really have to go over there? <laughs> mm. You know, because it's like, no, that's fine. I mean, the music editor will show you what's happening and um, she'll have the stems and she can like make some adjustments and tell me about them and I'll make adjustments here. And, um, you know, it ends up being uh, working just fine in that kind of workflow uh, in a remote way in which everyone's kind of like working uh uh multiple things at a time uh yeah is that almost a misconception that the kind of american film industry is just in la because as you pointed out there is a film industry in new york and i'm sure plenty of other parts of the country as well yeah is that how you feel about it yeah i mean i think there is a strong post-production uh you know industry here in new york for sure um so that's a draw and i and there's like tax incentives as well so that Mm. can be part of it um i'm really not that familiar with the with uh you know the film music scene in la because i I haven't lived there i've just visited but um you know you can definitely probably meet you know um uh a lot of directors and up and coming people or, you know, because it brings in LA, they bring so many people together. Um, but I worked on, you know, studio productions that were here, you know, Hollywood studio, product, like the Goldfinch was edited and mixed here and every, you know, Warner Brothers, they have a, a sound studio here that so mm. many films gets get mixed here. Um, and they're and that's their like big LA stuff, you know. Um, and uh, so I don't I, I think that they kind of 
follow where the opportunities are for them to, uh, in terms of like studios or uh, companies that are trying to, uh, or production companies that are um, um, trying to make a film, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do what they can to to do it cost effectively. And also a lot of people like, like New York as a town. So uh, they want to mm. spend three months here or four months here uh, uh, editing a film. Uh, and that's an opportunity that they'll take. And if it's a, and there are calls that are like New York based composer. Yeah. So that is a, that is a specific request sometimes for uh, it goes out to agents or, um, you know, so no of course yeah um yes i'm very excited to talk to you about your work on apple tv's servant but before that i'd just love to kind of talk about your kind of origin stories so i guess stuff like where are you from originally how you got into music and how that led to film scoring and on sudden did you go to yale university i'm guessing that's where you met jay wadley as well right yeah 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 jay and i met at yale uh studying uh, classical composition or master's degree um, I'm from uh, various places. My dad was a dentist in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot. Um, but I mostly lived in Texas, um, San Antonio. So, and that's where they've they've ended up. And I went to UT Austin for University of Texas in Austin for um, uh, classical piano. Uh, very much thought that I was going to be or planned on being a professor of piano or uh, a performer, um, you know, professional performer, something like that. But then got into composing kind of my last couple of years and then decided to uh, apply for master's programs um, to do that. And at Yale, you know, Jay and I, we were, in, it's very, you know, conservatory-like, uh, mm-hmm. focused on uh writing orchestra music, chamber music, and um, planning on being a professor at a university. So it's, it's mm. the academic route. And, uh, but I, you know, in between our two years, I was interning for Philip Glass. And when I did that, I, it really kind of changed my perspective on how, um, you know, how you can make a, a living as a composer and how, you know, how he approached just being kind of a take, you know, take all opportunities that you can um, because that's, you know, making a living as a composer means being open to a lot of different things. Um, while he, you know, his operas and his symphonies are his passion, um, he still enjoyed writing music for film and he enjoyed, or he did write music for commercials and I was involved in, in, in that. And that's how Jay and I kind of got our business started was on the commercial end so from some like people that I met while I was working on the helping uh, Phil kind of like uh, transcribe his music to computer and stuff. So pretty simple kind of like apprenticeship stuff, but also like learning from him about how, how to be a composer in the real world. Hmm. Well, that's amazing. I got a plan to ask you about the Philip Gross project you've been involved in recently. I didn't realize you'd, you've actually met him and interned with him. Oh, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, what kind of internship are we talking about here? Are you just kind of printing well, stuff and well, making coffees? Or? Yeah, well, definitely started like that. I mean, it was coffee and all that stuff. But I worked for, worked for him for six years as his assistant. Um so, um, and he like came to my wedding and you know, so with, uh, we were, you know, we're still, uh, in touch and friends, um, or, you know, but he's, uh, he's up there as like one of my favorite composers. Um, even before I met him, I think in high school, I was listening to his music. So it was pretty, it was trippy to be, uh, uh first interning and then eventually to be, uh, you know, working with him. He writes everything by hand. So he needed, you know, like a copyist to transcribe it to the computer. Um, and it's fully or- or orchestrated. So I'm just really just going like, all right, trombone, you know, bass trombone, going through every part. 
and then realizing it into like a mini mock-up. And then with working with the director, I'd sit there with him and the director would come. Or we would just send stuff uh, to a music editor and get comments or, or whatever. And so there's a lot of different ways in which I would work with him. Um, and, uh, and also, like, I would super help supervise uh, the recording sessions and uh, kind of learn that whole process by uh, uh, just being, being around uh, his film scoring and other recording things that he needed to have done. So I was really just sort of all things music that he needed. I was there to, to help. So incredible, because I guess you'd often hear, or you'd ask someone, how did you get your office job? And say, oh, I was an intern, and then they gave me the job. Whereas with you, it's like, how did <laughs> I intern with Philip Glass, and now I'm a film composer working with M. Night Shyamalan. So <laughs> seems so crazy. I mean, yeah, how did you, did you just apply for that online? And I guess another question is, was he sort of officially or even unofficially a mentor, it sounds like, for you? Uh, for, like, Philip, was he... Yeah, um, would you yeah. regard him in that light? Um, you know, he. Uh, I think he was mentored just through, like I said, just me watching. And he and I would discuss things. I was always curious, like, what was life like when you were my age? Because <laughs> you know? I was very curious about like minimalism and uh, and the, uh, so wait, well, if you, I, I, at the time I was like thirty something. I'm thirty eight now. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, he'd tell me about like, you know, it was cheaper to live in Manhattan and like everything was very different. Um, but, you know, we would talk about music and, um, that sort of thing. He's, you know, heard my music and been to some concerts and, um, uh, uh, but, you know, I didn't like, we didn't like get into too much detail. It was more like I was watching and watching what he was doing and watching how he was uh, making his business. And mm -hmm. Jay and I, and I was kind of like relaying my experience as Jay and I were kind of, we were both kind of building found objects, our company. And we we're kind of like, oh, okay, so this is how this kind of works and this is how this kind of works. Although we were making a thing together, which had like, you know, we worked with like, um, freelance composers and uh, you know it started out very much focused on advertising as it's like foundation uh, in which we built uh, our you know creative careers on um, uh, it was a, it was I was able to you know see what he was doing and apply it to my life in some degree uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't it wasn't Philip Glass so I couldn't like just turn around and be like, I'm, you know, I expect this from, you know, whatever. Instead, I need, I, I know that we needed to make our own table and make our own, you know, our own opportunities, and um, uh, and that's what we were. That's what that's what our plan was. So, and yeah, no, amazing. I mean, obviously, Philip Glass has such a, you know, very particular style. Um, I say that knowing he's obviously a lot of people would argue he's one of the greatest ever composers, but um, yeah, do you feel like, you know, his approach and his style, is that quite reflective in both you and Jay's uh, music, do you think? Or? I think, uh, I definitely think I was, you know, when I was working for him, like it was definitely in there in my brain <laughs> a lot. Uh, mm. I've probably over time, just since, just sort of like wandered away a little bit, but I've always harmonically been interested in his work or just the, the language, the language that he's developed, you know, um, rhythmically yeah. been interested in how he structures things. And it's just sort of like, um, those kind of elements, like I said, I was a fan of his since high school. And like, so I knew his music then and what interests me then it still interests me now and I still look up things that he releases like his new piano sonata and, uh, and I, you know, I still look up things that he's up to um, mm. uh, and check out like, you know, what he's been writing. Um, 
because I'm, you know, still a fan. So I, I like to know uh, what his what his music is like and what what he's doing. Um, you know, I think I uh, I have like a um, kind of a, um, I, I don't I don't I have different kind of approaches um, to things now than maybe when I was working with him at the time, but um, uh, that's just because my experiences have, have you know, drifted away from um, uh, my experience uh, when I was working with him. I think that's just natural, though, when you're surrounded by someone or, you know, an artist who's so, um, you know, so artistically powerful, um, uh, and then you move on to do other things, you kind of uh, explore other sounds and uh, ideas yeah because i was going to ask anyway about what sort of point in your journey you became so interested in mixing live instruments with uh you know electronic side of music um and i'm now assuming that philip glass must have played a role in that as well with being such an innovative artist himself yeah i mean you know uh i love his early music a lot like uh Music in twelve parts, or uh, um, you know, music in parallel motion, <laughs> like like mm. all that keyboard music, and uh, um, and it's all music that's keyboards doubled by wind, you know. And I think it's just such an interesting sound. Um, and yeah. these are like the old, the old analog keyboard versions, you know. So which kind of like go out of tune sometimes, or you know. Um, uh so that sound I, I always find really compelling there's an album that he has called analog which has a lot of great uh small pieces um that he wrote like for like even i think there's even like a film score on there like he wrote in the mm. DVDs or something that uh has a really uh interesting um uh, uh electronic and uh organic thing you know with his ensemble so it's like woodwinds and keyboards um and voices and but I, I you know i was also i also got into pop production for a while i don't do it much anymore but i had like an electronic band called my great ghost and i even like got involved with like uh doing some stuff with like Kanye west and uh like really like crazy out there situation <laughs> strange situations but um uh you know so that that kind of like high production um experience um uh, always informed my ability to manipulate electronics and to uh understand or at least self-taught it was never like you know anything but it's so everyone is self-taught when you're doing like you know pop production in general um and uh i think of course as a classically trained composer i just eventually wanted to always fall back onto that that because i felt i missed it um and you know working on uh some of these film scores um it allowed me to bring you know the the orchestral instruments were and then add that that electronic element that's sort of like new the new palette that i had uh not really uh had in the past so um and i've been kind of like exploring it more and more in different ways and different uh relationships with um uh, every score since uh or more recently, I guess. Mm. I think mean, I heard you mention Kanye West in there. I'd love to hear a bit more about that project. That must have been amazing. I don't know how yeah. deeply involved you were in if you met Kanye, but um, no, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, if you know this composer, Caroline Shaw. She's a colleague of mm. ours like, from Yale. She's a composer and singer and violinist. And she's like really amazing. Um, she uh, 
had met Kanye at a concert with her uh, music on or a vocal ensemble that she performs in called Room Full of Teeth. Right. And um, Kanye had gone to that concert and came up to her and really loved this piece that she actually won a Pulitzer for. Um, I see. And uh, I was like, this is really great. Like, you should uh, do a remix or we should do a remix together. And so she, we're good friends from college. And she knew that I was doing a lot of pop production stuff. And she approached me to do like, um, to, to like collaborate with her on some remixes. So we did remixes of uh, uh, songs for 808 and Heartbreak because um, it's so much vocal elements. And that's the one, the one Kanye is like singing and stuff, the album. So that ended up night, uh, the night, but Kanye really loved that. And he, uh, uh, he released one of them and um, then wanted, then had a whole concert at the Hollywood Bowl where we did like four or five of them. Um, and he performed them and she was on stage with, and I had all of my electronics and vocal processing stuff and all of this, these things. And then he brought us to um, work on his album, which is kind of a strange thing about how he works. A lot of producers kind of floating around LA, set up in hotels or something. <laughs> and uh, um, so we, uh, you know, we're just checking out. And this was during Life of Pablo. Um, and you know, uh, it wasn't for me, it was, she was definitely the artist that I was supporting. Um, and I met him a few times, um, but it was a, definitely an interesting experience. And, uh, and then Jay and I, uh, we also did like some orchestral arrangements for one album. They ended up not, um, uh, going forward with them but like you know it always kind of comes back somehow in strange ways uh so it's 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 funny how that relationship will uh i don't have like a direct relationship with kanye but there's always sort of like this um funny uh uh, uh thing where he will will pop up <laughs> you know? but yeah so just to recap you were very much about to go into being a professor of piano studies or something similar. Yeah. Suddenly you're interning for Philip Glass and then you've wound up working with Kanye West and we'll talk about the films in a minute, but um, I'm just presuming you must be really happy with how things have gone quite serendipitously, yeah, it, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, um, you know, you kind of just follow these things where they go. You never know what uh, what what's going to happen. Um, you know, which is kind of like the, that Philip Glass kind of uh, Zen Buddhist point of view, where you just you know, the um, you know Caroline had a thing, and I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> and then it turns into a much bigger Hollywood Bowl event with fireworks and craziness. And you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, but um, um, you know, and uh, and for a while I was very much uh, pr pursuing being a uh, like a pop producer, but then the film music kind of like swept it, and I started to do that, and that's what I've been focusing on since then. So, um, so it's like the river took me a different direction. <laughs> so, yeah. and I just followed. I followed the next story. You know, the, where I'm going there. So, and who knows what, uh, where any of these things go? You just kind of like see what uh, the possibility will be and uh, or what's available to you and um, and see what happens. Yeah. No, I guess that's such amazing advice, just kind of be open to going with the flow and not trying to force everything. And yeah, no, I guess you're living proof of that. Um, and so that leads us beautifully into the film composing or TV composing, I should say. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about yeah, just landing the gig for working on Servant. Um, how did that come about? And I guess you must have been so excited by the prospects of working with M. Night Shyamalan, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, 
again, also a fan of <laughs> uh, working with him. Um, you know, the uh, I worked on um, the movie uh, The Goldfinch, um, and this music supervisor, um, or composed a score, music supervisor is Sue Jacobs, and she had been working with Knight on his film since Unbreakable, so for years and years. And knew that Knight was starting the show with Apple Servant and needed a composer. And so she recommended that Knight, you know, meet me and check out music. So I sent him a reel, some stuff I did for Goldfinch, which it's a lot of like romantic music, but there's some like kind of more thriller stuff, even though it's like big orchestral things. It at least has like some colors that are, uh, you know, somewhat unconventional for like, uh, I wouldn't call that necessarily like a Hollywood movie, but it's, you know, done by Warner Brothers and Amazon, and it's um, at least in the universe. So, um, uh, and he, he liked what he heard enough to meet me. So I went to Philly and his, at, his, at where they were shooting uh, Servant at the time. And we you know, talked for a little bit and talked about music and his philosophy of music and ideas. And, and I went off and just started writing some ideas um, for the show. And these were just sort of off the grid concepts that or you know, I usually just call them idea one, idea two, idea three. Um, and they can be used, you know, in a lot of different places. I'm, I, you know, I could see like a cut, I could see, I could read just the script, you know, um, and I, you know, the editor can just put them in this scene or that scene, or, you know, I'm not really telling anyone like where this stuff goes. It's more like, is this the tonal or the aesthetic universe in which this show is going to be? So, you know, I said like idea one and he's like, yeah, it's great, but it's not this show. So, <laughs> so then I go to idea two and three and four and five and just keep going and trying stuff out. And they would try it against picture and he never uh, uses temp music at all. So it's all an exploration for him to see what music sounds like finally um, after fully editing a, uh, an episode. Because I think season one, episode one, which he directed, when we first met, he's like, I'm not so sure I'm going to have any music in this at all. Because <laughs> so, he's very like, once he, you know, his, he really challenges his editors to make uh, their work be able to stand alone without music um, and keep interest so that, you know, music is like only high, you know, is enhancing uh, direction and uh, emotional impact of things but it's not like coverage it's not like you know uh like a fixer kind of thing so right which is, a, which is it's definitely a challenge for an editor i'd never been in that i mean they could they could speak to it more but um it's uh it's a uh it means that we we definitely go through a lot of like exploration phases where we're just like, is there music here? I don't know. Try it. No, it didn't really work. Let's try a different cue, you know, or let's not have any music here at all. But anyway, that was like how we started, which is sort of open ideas and then kind of finally, finally coming on a sound that like season one was very like transparent and a lot of bowed instruments that you could kind of feel were quiet and um, like, mysterious and unnerving nothing was loud and uh super aggressive but season two was <laughs> but you had to get there right you have to get you have to get to season two to get to that take that journey wow i've got i often ask composers about the whole temp track issue i got to interview john murphy once who almost infamously had to when he worked on the film kick us the director used John Murphy's own music as a temp track from 28 Days Later, but obviously sometimes the directors get so attached to the temp that, like, in this instance, he just said, let's just use that. And <laughs> poor John Murphy's begging the director to let him write something new and not have to 
repeat himself. But then what you mentioned there, yeah, does M. Night never use temp track? And I guess that's the other extreme. If, if there's no music, then I guess there's this void that you have to kind of yeah. find a way of filling, don't you, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working on his movie, his movie Old right now. Right. Um, the entire movie had no temp music at all. Uh, mm-hmm. No music uh, when I first saw it. And um, again, a huge challenge for him and the editor to sit down and make sure they didn't, they were able to keep interest through the whole thing. And I'm not saying that music is the thing that makes you pay attention or something. <laughs> I'm just saying that like sometimes music can kind of like um, uh, plays a role and, and it does play a role. I mean, clearly, you know, regarding this this movie old I'm, i've written a lot of music now but um you know but to get to where we are now i i wrote like twice as much music because we had to you know go through the whole period of thinking like maybe the opening stuff is this kind of thing you know like you know what maybe not uh, actually maybe yes or yes no it's not <laughs> you know yeah. so there's we have to go through the whole experimentation phase that you might you, if you were going to dig into a temp music or temp scoring um, kind of phase, you might take that effort by looking at other scores or other scores by the comp- same composer. But like you said, like um, it could be like a trap where you're, um, yeah. you know, and your temp love, the, the dreaded temp love becomes an issue. Um so yeah, I mean, has he has he never used temp music in his career, or is it was it a case of he realised it can be a sort of creative hindrance for both himself and the composer? Or yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know. You know, I've only worked with him on these two shows, two mm. yes, two seasons, and this movie. But I, I do know that he just doesn't. Um, I, I think that he he doesn't like to put constraints on the composer. Or on, on me, and that's the person like that in terms of our relationship. So, if there's a temp cue, even if there's a, we'll just put in like kind of temp to get us to like a preview or something, or a temp in terms of uh, for a servant, we'll put in that, you know, the music editor will put in something um, just to get us, you know. And when I say temp, it's my music that I wrote for the show, season two, you know, like an, an episode mm-hmm. ago. Like we're not even like that far away. We're like a day ago. But um, he's like, well, don't, you know, it's just kind of right, but don't don't listen to this. You know, so <laughs> he really doesn't want to, to like go down the route of like me being influenced by um, – any of this stuff it's like always kind of like this is just okay don't be influenced by this um uh you know because it never i and, and he's never prescriptive he's never like uh, yeah can you have like violins here or like more more scratchy stuff here or anything it's very it's much more talking about characters and ideas of uh um of you know what people are thinking in the sub subtext of the scene or the you know which music can play i think music can play a role in highlighting something that might not be completely apparent on screen i don't know if you can always perceive that it could be kind of a subconscious thing but um uh you know it's uh it definitely can change the scene how how you score a point of view um like pretty dramatically so yeah before we talk more about the music it'd be amazing to hear the kind of synopsis of the the show as we've mentioned it's an apple tv original show it'd be amazing if you could just talk through the kind of yeah the the plot line of the program yeah so the show is about this family uh this couple named Dorothy and Sean Turner who lost their baby. Um, and the mother uh, is 
well, in season one, she was trying to, well, they were trying to have her cope with it by giving her a um, reborn doll, which is a real thing. It's a doll that looks like a real baby, like super real uh, baby. Um, and people, I think this is like, not all the kids. I mean, some people actually collect them because they like dolls, but some people do use them as like therapy. Um, in this case, she completely thought that this was their baby that they had lost, and she was unaware that they lost their baby. And she even got a nanny for this baby. <laughs> and so mm. there's a nanny named Leanne who comes in, and she's like, doesn't skip a beat, and also acts like this baby is real. Um, and in season one, like, uh, makes that or something happens where that's the case, and then it disappears. So season two starts out where baby is gone and everyone is like on the hunt for finding Jericho, their son. But Jericho, the one that was a reborn doll slash now, was made real or something by Leanne. And Dorothy is, you know, hell bent on getting him back, and will do anything she can. Um, mm -hmm. And they're all, they're all, you know, pretty much trying their best to, uh, you know, avoid grieving for their son. <laughs> Basically, yeah. it's uh, about avoidance of, uh, of, of that, uh, of living with reality. As much as Dorothy is. I think it's the case with all of the characters in the show. No, totally. Um, so you recently completed work on season two. I'd love to hear how you and Emma Knight, I suppose, together approach this season. I understand you, he was very keen, which makes sense from what you said, that he was keen to approach it in a somewhat of a new way for this season musically. And um, also I think we kind of held back a bit by COVID and had to do a lot uh, from your bedroom kind of thing as well. Yeah, yeah, I had a, this is one of those COVID scores where I was, I still wonder if like, if, if we could all just find a, when the score was written, a bunch of composers would be like, this was written here, you know, <laughs> at home, because <laughs> yeah. I was, I started score at my studio in, here in Dumbo, and then um, the lockdown happened in New York, so I moved what I needed which was like my computer a bunch of drives um like my violin clarinet and um headphones because i didn't have room on my dresser for <laughs> speakers so i was working mm. on headphones and um in a one-bedroom apartment in hell's kitchen and uh you know i was like very much relied on my studio for all of the the space and the speakers and the idea that like, oh yeah, that's where I work and I don't need all that, that kind of that room. Um, so it's fine with what I have. And then, you know, when you're locked down, then you have to, you realize that you don't even have a desk. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. And then most of it, you know, they stopped shooting and then they, uh, uh, but we were uh, we were doing spotting sessions eventually again, uh, picked up again, and then we um, uh, they they shot a lot of it, so I was working a lot, and then once they picked up enough for them to be shooting again, I was still working from home for a while, um, uh, but ended up writing like. 95% of the score on my dresser. Um, so, yeah, true COVID score. Yeah, because I guess when people visualize film and TV scores, you know, you imagine that big room with the footage on the screen and there's a full orchestra. But, um, yeah, I guess it becomes tougher think of it being a, such a confined space. But um sounds like you made it, made it, made it work for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to find the creativity in something, you know, like whatever the 
resource you have. And I mean, luckily I recorded just so much music for season one. So um, I just had this like, just uh, basically a library of like all my performances and mm-hmm. all my violin performances, all of the bowed instruments that I like glockenspiel and uh, percussion things that I recorded. And, you know, so I had all these live recordings of me um, that were a good resource so that I kept all of, I would always have the servant sound without needing to go into a studio to record it again, because I had that STEM library um, available to me. Um, at the same time, we, you know, Knight wanted to, you know, make sure that we were making something that was season two and appropriate, different. It was different because the season was different. And the vibe of the season was different. Um, so I did the whole process of starting, you know, the idea system of like, I know we, we knew what we had and we knew the instrumentation still. So there had to be a DNA that was relative to season one, but there needed to be something with more uh, intensity and more muscle and crazy and wild because it was going to be wild. And that's, you know, uh, and it got more and more, like, you know, I didn't see all the edits until as, you know, things were with uh, TV and stuff, they, they kind of come at you um, one at a time. So like, I would read the scripts, but then you see it and you're like, oh, wow, I get why I'm, <laughs> why the, he wanted the music to be this intense. Because like, this episode is like crazy. This episode is crazy. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So, uh um, the the adjustment to make season two made a lot of made a lot of sense when we uh, went into that idea phase um, and kind of rethought what this season was going to be about without assuming that it had to be just like servant season one with like a couple of extra instruments. It really needed to have a lot more like electronic, you know, power to it. Yeah, and then, so where do you see the show going from here? Because I suppose, I wonder if it's going to be a similar situation to Mindhunter over on Netflix, which is directed by David Fincher, where the seasons are a little few and far between, just because he's such a huge in-demand director. Um, so no one knows when the season three will come. But do you see uh, the show running for quite a few seasons? Um, and that almost becomes a bit of a career in itself for you, doesn't it, if that happens? Yeah, I mean... Um... I think he's talked about it in the press about it being four seasons. Sometimes he's even right. said earlier, earlier on, he said even six seasons. So it's like, I don't know if it's like going to land between those. There's, you know, I don't know what the plan is. I'm not, you know, in the writer room or aware of like the, the big arc of the show. Um, but I do think there, I mean, I do know that there's some, like, uh, there's there's definitely a plan on there being an end to it um, within four to six, <laughs> based on whatever he said, uh, uh, you know, with interviews and stuff. But, um, uh, but they're shooting season three right now. I think they stopped for a tiny bit and then they're, they're back up. So while I'm finishing his movie, um, and well, he's finishing it too. So we're kind of like both, I'm like recording it and he's still editing it. And we're just doing this crazy dance to finish uh, scoring. Um, uh, we're gonna jump right into Servant season three, like not, not far, not too long after we finish uh, his movie. So, um, I'm yeah. curious to see what it what it's about. <laughs> I have no idea. So. No, awesome. Amazing. Um, and then staying on the film and TV, I'd just love to ask what have been your kind of big moments and highlights and favorite moments of your kind of scoring career so far? Because you've done quite a few things in a relatively short career, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I really loved working with um, David Campbell, uh, who... Uh, is um orchestrator who worked on uh goldfinch 
Excuse me. David Campbell's um, Beck's dad, who did, uh, I mean, like all of his records and so many other people's um, records. He's just so prolific in that world, but also does a lot of film scoring, uh, film orchestration. But with The Goldfinch, he did um, like such a great job at um, adding such a unique um, uh, tone and color to orchestration. I'm usually, it was the first time I ever had an orchestrator. Uh, you know, like I'm classically trained, so I'm very much used to kind of doing it myself. So, uh, but there was, of course, no time to like sit down and be like, all right, now, now it's time to take it out of logic and, you know, take the brass section that I've arranged already and make it real. You know, he, we needed to like get get real about this. <laughs> you needed you needed to get help. So Sue Jacobs knows him well and and had him come on board. And it's one of those things where uh, I love to have orchestrators like the other guy that I work with now, um, David Crystal. I love to have them. Um, you know, obviously I am pretty good about orchestrating or arranging kind of like in a very clear way, like the winds and the brass and, and strings and stuff. But I don't break it out into like every single instrument because I know that it's going to be managed later. But so they'll do all that work. But then there's extra stuff. There's like the extra um, orchestrational uh, uh, tricks and uh, effects and elements like that and I love to see that and try them out and it's like you don't always keep them in the final mix when I go through and I listen and see how it works see how it works but I just love to see what they come up with you know because um, it's a really can be a really creative um, uh, role in, in the, the scoring the recording part of a, of a film score so um, and I also encourage, like David, I always like encourage him to like use the orchestra to enhance a lot of the electronics I do because I want to like meld them as much as possible and make it feel like we're kind of like in enhancing and making the the electronics like uh, just one and the same, you know. So we uh, can't tell the two apart. Um, so when the brass like kind of explode, there's also like this crazy like it's explosive exploding synth white noise thing right behind them, you know. So it creates like a really cool effect. Um, but he mm -hmm. he has to do that by ear because it's nothing it's nothing written, you know that that tells him that all I'm doing is like holding. I've uh, just got a recorded you know profit note or something <laughs> on my profit weight or something. Yeah. So he has to transcribe all that kind of sounds and imagine what that would, how that could be uh, approached. Um, so that kind of, those kinds of things, I think in the recording process and film scoring um, is always a lot of fun to see um, the orchestration kind of bring um, your, your, you know, quote demos to life. Yeah. I'm not thinking of, um, I didn't realize Beck's dad was a, orchestrator and um i'm now thinking of a beck song that's so beautifully orchestrated from it's a track from five or six years ago now so i'm getting i'm presuming now that must have been his father doing the orchestration um yeah. on the song so i guess is that i guess i'm wondering how you came into that philip cross project was that through david campbell or through knowing philip or both or because <laughs> beck was involved in that project you did recently wasn't it uh no there was the um that was way, way before. That was, so I don't, don't know Beck or anything. Um, uh, the, so Philip's record label was putting together a um, bunch of remixes. And um, my electronic band, My Great Ghost, um, uh, was around. I was doing that at the time. Uh, and I know the, the you know, the, the guys who run that label and I was like, it's, you know, we'll, have, we'll try something. Do you guys want to hear it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they, um, 
we did like a, a crazy vocal remix and ro- vocal like kind of electro pop remix of music control parts um and uh they really dug it and everyone put they put it on the top of the record like the first track on the record and it was on vinyl and um and Beck did a remix which was really awesome and uh Cornelius did one and um I'm trying to think who else there's a a bunch of other great artists who took part in it that uh Beck got together and uh um so it was um it was an interesting project. I don't know how it came about, um, but um, it was uh, it was cool to be part of it. And we're like the no-name band on there. <laughs> everyone, yeah. everyone else is like, "Oh wow, man, what's my great ghost?" <laughs> but um, yeah, but whatever. It was it was cool to be mm. uh, on the list at least. No, brilliant. Um, I'd love to ask a bit about your kind of studio setup. Um, if that's interesting to you, maybe starting with which DAW you're in these days. Uh, yeah, I've always used uh, Logic. Mm. Um, um, I don't think I've ever. Oh, we, you know, I used to do uh, Digital Performer a little bit because of the score function is really nice, um, especially when you're working with like transcribing or you know um uh inputting stuff like phillips scores way back when i was doing that but um but yeah i mean logic is sort of what i'm uh what i've been doing for years now yeah and then i guess for the very early stages are you using any of the guys like spitfire audio for example for sort of demos and sketches at the start of the process at all? Or? Yeah, I use uh, a lot of Spitfire things, and I, I still incorporate them into the to the live yeah. the live recording, um, even though we still we have the orchestra do effects that are somewhat similar or highlight in a different way. Um, yeah, it's quite a common Spitfire. technique, isn't it, to have a sort of bed of Spitfire and then the live instruments over the top. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that what they do in their, with their performances that they recorded with like swarm or, uh, evolution strings or, or is it angular evolutions, I think, um, uh, they're like really great resources for like, uh, glisses mm. and strange pizzicato things um and uh so it's a good way and the other thing is that um i think you know working with knight for the for such a long time i know that he doesn't want to stray too far from what he's heard for, for such a long time um so there's some familiarity that's got to be maintained um uh but i mean they're always like further in the back than what the new things that we've done because we worked really hard to you know get the performances that we like or if we want the woodwinds to do something that's quite different but like the essence of like the kind of like swarmy sound is like kind of there but we're doing it kind of in a different way or like um in in our own way um uh, it's still inspired by some of the things that uh, they did in Spitfire libraries and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's yeah. a great resource. Yeah. How long have you been using their stuff? And yeah, I'd love to know what, if you've got any particular favorite packs of theirs that you like to use or. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's mostly the, uh, they're, these like the evolution things that they have, which it used to be called just like wind evolution and string evolution, but they updated it to um, angular strings and wood wind evolution. I think that's what it is. Um, and, and I usually put like maybe a couple of plugins to like for like certain set for certain scenes or certain elements, 
Um, and then with the string element, string things, I'll maybe double it myself on violin, um, just to add another layer of a person. But it's all recorded so well, you know. If you're holding like one note, that is a recording of someone playing one note. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, mm. you know, it's like, what's the difference, right? Um, yeah. uh, so those are those are my. Uh, Kind of my my uh, go-to kind of Spitfire thing, and then like in terms of like more traditional um, uh, I'm trying to think of what I use for the traditional cinematic scoring stuff. It's uh, mm -hmm. what is it called? It's like cinematic strings and. Um, Sure. I forget. Are there? Yeah, Cinematic Studios. Uh, mm -hmm. That's like they're they're a really great um, string winds and brass library. But that's for like yeah. demo, um, you know, making demos and stuff before we replace it with the yeah. orchestra. No, brilliant. Um, I guess on the topic of plugins, um, yeah, especially in the context of Servant, what kind of plugins you're using to achieve the kind of sounds you were after? Yeah, that'd be brilliant to hear as well. Uh, it's just so many different things. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but I do I do come up with like a template to because I'm writing so much music so quickly. Um, yeah. Just again, like good and bad, right? I mean, uh, I don't have like a system that's like got my entire universe just sitting at my fingertips. Like some composers, I know they have like you know Vienna Symphony like a computer or like two computers sitting there all the time that have like every library sound that they have loaded. But I will have like devised a template over, you know, a month or two or well not I don't have that much time. However a week or two <laughs> to like <laughs> to uh to like come up with like you know the basis of what you know the sound will be and um uh, going back to Spitfire, like uh, I am thinking back to uh, um, they have the that synth called Phobos or BT Phobos based on his work. Um, that one is really good, especially if you're doing like a custom thing. Uh, so I make a lot of plugins with that. Uh, it's like a convolution, not a convolution. It's like a it's. I'm not really sure how to, I'm not like an expert at using it, but I'm, I hack my way through it and make like weird sounds, which is perfect for servant, right? Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then it's just like a, a mix of a lot of different like caviosity things or, you know, it really, uh, sort of a grab bag. It's like, what, what do I, what do I need for this cue or that cue? And then it just kind of keeps adding into my template so that I can start um, quickly piecing together uh, cues. Um, and then, you know, uh, so I have like like a running running idea uh, with a structure to it and like sounds that kind of like all work together. Um, but it has enough freedom that I can like drift away and start adding new things or especially when we need to like come up with a new sound for the episode. That's when I need to like break off and do something different. No, absolutely. Um, uh, finally, um, yeah, just the sound card and speakers you're on at the moment would be great to hear as well. Oh, what speakers am I on? <laughs> well, I'm in my, my, um, our mix studio right now, so I don't even, um, I don't even know what my speakers are. I'm not like the expert at that. Oh stuff. no worries. <laughs> you caught me on. I don't know what I'm doing. Section. <laughs> um, um, they're nice speakers. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, fine. It's interesting because some composers are so incredibly techy, aren't they? And some. You know, obviously, is it the naturally the focus can be more on the music for some composers? Yeah. There's a lot of um, in between yeah, there, like, isn't there? And, 
And it sounds yeah. like you're somewhere in the middle of that, perhaps, and which is great. I mean, I know that they're they're Neumann, um, but I don't know which model they are. But they're like um, I'm like looking at Sweetwater right now. It kind of looks like them, <laughs> KH three tens or something like that. Um, um, yeah, and it's funny. I, I've gotten I'm so used to listening on headphones that I I really do reference headphones a lot these days because yeah. I, um, uh, I I can just pick up a lot of detail for some reason um, um, that is maybe I just also listen to my music loud enough. <laughs> so yeah. If I just played it louder, then I would uh, I wouldn't have an issue. But um, uh, uh, but it's always good just to like get extra close and um, hear like little little noises, little um, um, nuances that you're working on. No, yeah, wonderful. Um, so, yeah, f- thank you so much for your time, Trevor. Um, yeah. I guess f- uh, finishing off, yeah, what's coming up for you? I know you mentioned you're doing a movie now of M. Night, I think you said. Yeah, so that one old, it's called Old, and uh, I think mm. it's coming out in theatres in July, end of July. Oh, so the so, work's completed and we can expect it. Soon. Yeah. So there must be a trailer and everything, right? There's a trailer out now. Oh, wow. Um, um we're not finished at all <laughs> i'm uh like mixing we had a session uh with the budapest orchestra on uh last um budapest scoring um it was last weekend and you know so we had to wake up at like 4 30 or yeah. get to the studio 4 30 to get on their time zone um and uh uh uh, so we're like mixing this right now and it's being mixed on stage and then there's another pickup session so we're like racing to finish uh to finish that and then um and then servant season three but i gotta take a break somewhere in there because i've been going like non-stop um yes it's an industry but, where you can really um not get a proper break sometimes if you i guess it's almost a case of saying no to things isn't it yeah, no, it's definitely hard. And I have a four-month-old son now. Like, so mm. we, that's uh, the, uh, um, the, so I started, we, he was born and um, we, um, I started like uh, old, like, like a month later or something like that. So it was really. Oh my goodness. It was like, yeah, it was definitely intense. <laughs> it's intense time to uh, to um, to work, and then I'm, you know I've been doing the late night hours, you know, but which works for you know dad's working and whenever he wakes up at night, like I'm working, so not that big a deal, right? Just makes me really yeah. tired during the day. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, amazing. Um, oh, I guess finally the red, so all the red carpet's still out. Be cool to know if there's any other projects you'd love to point listeners towards apart from the things we've mentioned at all or um from your kind of back catalogue i mean sorry yeah right now there's some stuff and that i'm doing but not really can't announce just yet but i'm also working on like a another like a pop electronic um i don't know i wouldn't call it pop it's like a experimental electronic thing with my wife she's a really great uh um composer and pianist named sugar vandil and um we have a uh we have a project that we love to call vanity project because it's like that's the name of the project the band i guess if you call it um because uh, you know what would you do something for fun <laughs> but a vanity project and uh uh so we're we we've got like a show coming up in uh august i think and uh we've got to start writing music soon so um so we're we're gonna start developing ideas for that and what that's going to be about which will be fun and completely different and not horror and scary music 
which I've been doing a lot lately. So it'll be a good change. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you seem to have an affinity for the slightly creepier yeah. side of the industry. So maybe I'll, I'll play some like, it'll be probably be minor chords, nothing wrong with minor chords, but it will be minor chords in the, in the, and the, the tone of, of uh, a positive synth, <laughs> synth colors. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Oh, Trevor, yeah. thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you. And um, yeah, yes, excited for it all, but I also hope you get some rest in the not right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.